Amen, amen, absolutely. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth is full of his glory. It is so good and rich to gather as the bride of Christ and to lift up Christ together and to make much of Jesus together. So, so good. No, 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 yes. These are the words of every parent of a toddler in the world. A child takes their toy car and they throw it at the TV. No, no. They take a frying pan and they try to hit their sibling with it. No, no. They run towards the street. No. Somehow they find a steak knife and run through the house. No. They ask, will you play with me? Yes. You see, this yes and no, yes and no, this is what we see when it comes to God and sex. When it comes to sex, God says no and yes. And as our Father who loves us and cares for us and only wants to give good gifts to his children and he wants us to depend upon him in every area of our life, including sex, in his word, he gives crystal clear yeses and crystal clear noes. Well, the Bible tells us that God says no to sex outside of the covenant of marriage and yes to sex inside the covenant of marriage. Sex outside of marriage is to be rejected. Sex inside of marriage is to be received. And that is what King Solomon is driving home in Proverbs chapter 5. Let me show you. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5. We're finishing up our sermon series through the book of Proverbs this week called Walk in Wisdom. Next week, we're going to be starting a Great Commission emphasis. We're going to take three weeks and enter into a sermon series called Pray, Give, Go. And over the next three weeks, we're going to have out in the atrium several different ministries that are both local and global. And the purpose of them being here in the atrium for the next three weeks is for you as a family and for you as a life group to connect with them and see what it looks like for you to find a way to serve, to partner with, and to continue to make much of Jesus. We want to become a church that is not inwardly focused, but we are outwardly focused. We are wanting to reach the nations and our neighbors with the gospel. So I'm looking forward to us unpacking this, this, this big truth in the scriptures of a great commission God who calls us to live on mission with him. Well, for today, as we're wrapping up this series, we've been taking seven weeks together as a faith family, strolling through the book of Proverbs and stopping and looking at different themes along the way from the text. We've seen topics such as wisdom, parenting, truth-telling, work ethic, money, 
You see, God's word is so practical and it teaches us how to live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in everyday life. Last week, we saw in Proverbs chapters five and six and seven, how God calls us away from sex outside of marriage. And this week, we're gonna see how God calls us towards sex inside of marriage. You see, sex is God's idea. It began in Genesis 2 where we, we read of Adam naming the animals. He sees male and female of each kind, except when it comes to finding a complement for himself. The Lord said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a, suitable, uh, a, helper, a, easy, Kenneth, a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God put Adam to sleep and he took out a rib from the man and made he a woman. And when Adam opened his eyes and he saw the woman, he said, hubba, hubba. In Genesis 2, and the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. The two of them became one flesh and they were naked and unashamed. When we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus upholding God's original design for sex inside of the exclusive covenantal relationship of a husband and wife. In Matthew 19, Jesus quotes Genesis 2. He says, haven't you read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And he also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. You see, God's original design for sex is this between a husband and wife coming together under the blessing of God in a one flesh relationship for life. You see, sex was created by God and for his glory. And it was ordained by God to be a sign of a covenant. In the Holy Scriptures, when we see a covenant that was made, a sign or a symbol was often given to point to the agreement that was made. When God made a covenant with Noah that he would never flood the earth again, he gave the sign of the covenant of a rainbow. When God made a covenant with Abraham that he would become the father of many nations, he had the sign of circumcision. When you and I enter into the new covenant by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the sign of that covenant is baptism. Well, see, when we enter into the marriage covenant, the sign of that covenant is sex. Sex is the sign and seal that we have entered into the marriage covenant. When two become one flesh, they are testifying that they have entered into the covenant of marriage. And every time a husband and wife have sex, they are renewing their marriage covenant. One of the reasons that any and all sex outside of marriage is sin is because it points to a covenant that has never taken place. So as we study how to walk in wisdom, we must understand that sex, not from the perspective of the world, we must understand sex from the author of sex himself, 
which is God. So as we look at Proverbs 5 together, we're going to be cross-referencing 1 Corinthians 7 and seeing how Solomon and the Apostle Paul teach us how to glorify God through sex. Notice in the text two ways that we can glorify God through sex. Number one is this, drink only from the cup of your spouse's love. Drink only from the cup of your spouse's love. Look with me at Proverbs 5, verse 15. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Solomon writes, drink water from your own cistern, water flowing from your own well. Should your springs flow in the streets, streams in the public squares, they should be for you alone and not for you to share with strangers. Now, leading up to this, in chapter 5, verses uh, 3 through 14, Solomon has instructed his son not to find sexual satisfaction with the forbidden woman. But instead, verse 15, he is to drink water from his own cistern. He is to drink water flowing from his own well. That phrase, drink water, it's a metaphor for sexual union between a husband and a wife. Solomon is using poetry to teach his son that his thirst is to be quenched nowhere other than his wife. The man is not to take his love and desire to anyone else by going out into the streets. The husband and wife are to fill and refresh each other like a flowing stream or like a peaceful well. You see, water is good, and it is life-giving. And just as water refreshes and strengthens us, so too does sex within the covenant of marriage. When sex is taken outside of God's covenant, it brings disaster. Six years ago, when Christy and I moved into our house, I was upstairs and I heard the kids downstairs laughing and having a great time. And I thought, something is up. So as I come downstairs, I see the kids frolicking and having a great time in our dining room and swimming in water. Somehow, water had gotten into our first floor and it brought total destruction. You see, when water is taken out of its cistern, when it's taken out of its well, when it's taken out of PVC pipes, it brings destruction. And that's part of the point that Solomon is making here. When water is not contained within the confines of what God designed in marriage, it brings disaster. When any man or any woman commits adultery, whether it's in person or by looking at a screen, when someone pursues sex outside of marriage, they are stealing what is meant for the marriage bed, and they're taking it, verse 16, to the public squares. Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage is to be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept undefiled, because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Wives, may there never be another man whom you look to to find your desires met. Husbands, may there never be another woman you look to to satisfy your desires. 
whether it's on a computer screen or in your office or a cheerleader on the sidelines, may there never be anyone you look to other than your wife alone. You see, sexual union between the husband and wife is for them alone and never to be shared with another. The Apostle Paul champions the exclusivity of sex in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. He says, but because sexual immorality is so common, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife, and each woman should have sexual relations with her own husband. He goes on to underscore the obligation of husbands and wives serving and loving one another inside of this marriage relationship in verse 3. He says, a husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise a wife to her husband. You see, sex is so important to God, verse 3, that he calls it a duty. You see, unless you're hindered by illness or a physical disability, sex is not optional in marriage. You, you are not to withhold sex from your spouse, spouse for the sake of intimidation or manipulation to try and get what you want. Paul here, he's teaching that it's the responsibility and the obligation of husbands and wives to serve one another and to meet one another's needs. Depriving one another of sex, it dishonors God and it hurts the marriage relationship. The key is having a healthy biblical view of sexuality. Now, there are two views of sex in our culture that I think swing and miss. One view is that for some, sex is gross. It's something to be rejected. It is repulsive. It's to be minimized. It's taboo. You never talk about it. It exists for the sake of procreation, and that's it. Now, the opposite side of the spectrum are those who view sex as everything. For some, sex is a god, our culture worships sex, and we see it in music, movies, TV shows, magazines, athletics, literature, politics, business. Sex sells is a common advertising slogan, and it's used to persuade us in how we purchase vehicles or clothing or food. Businesses and their empires are built upon sex. Pornography is a $10 billion industry in the United States alone. But you see, neither of these views come from the Bible. Sex is neither gross nor a God, but a gift from the Lord. Sex is not gross to be minimized. A faithful study was if we, of God's word, we're gonna see that God created sex for his glory. Sex falls under the whatever category of 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where Paul says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. One day, we as a faith family, we're gonna take a study and walk through the song of songs. And whoa, Nelly, get your seatbelt buckled for that one. But you see, sex is not to be worshiped either. Sex is not ultimate, Jesus is ultimate. Jesus is better than sex, and he has put boundaries around sex for the protection of, our, of his people and for the good of his name. You see, sex is a good gift from God that is only to be opened between a husband and a wife. 
Because God loves you so much, he works for your good and for the fame of his name, and he puts guardrails around sex. Your sex life is not public property. You are not to let your springs flow into the streets in public squares, but rather you are to drink only from the cup of your spouse's love. But secondly, I want you to see in the text, a second way to glorify God is to delight in your wife. Verse 18, let your fountain be blessed and take pleasure in the wife of your youth, a loving dear, a graceful doe. Let her breasts always satisfy you. Be lost in her love forever. Solomon is praying a blessing over his son with the words of affirmation that he would be blessed through his wife. He prays that his love for his wife would lead to a deep pleasure. That word for pleasure, it means to rejoice, to, to make someone glad. The son is to find such joy in his wife that he delights in her. He is giddy over the wife of his youth. Then verse 19, he compares the beauty of the wife to that of a loving deer. A graceful doe. A few weeks ago, our family went mountain biking here in Alabama. And when we stopped for a sack lunch, about 30 yards away was a deer. And we all stopped and just stared at this magnificent creature. Just how the sleek coat of fur covered it. And it was slender and muscular in frame. It was attractive how it carried itself. When it ran, it was graceful and beautiful to watch. Well, Solomon, verse 19, he's likening the gracefulness of the deer to the gracefulness of the wife. And then he references the woman's body as means, verse 19, of always satisfying her husband. Her nakedness, verse 19, satisfies her husband's desires. Now, last week, we looked in God's word how God calls us to look away from the forbidden woman. We are to bounce our eyes. We are to avoid sexual temptation by where we fix our eyes. But here, Solomon is directing the gaze of, his husband, of the husband towards his wife. You see, godly husbands, they bounce their eyes away from seductive appearances and they fix their eyes towards the gift of the wife of their youth. Wives, hear me on this. Your naked body is one of God's good gifts to your husband. Your love, care, and embrace of your husband, it helps protect the marriage relationship. Now, if your husband, if he sins sexually, that's on him. And he will give an account and yet, a powerful weapon that God has put into your hands to place into his arsenal to fight against temptation is verse 19, allowing him to enjoy your nakedness. Paul addresses this in 1 Corinthians 7, 4. He says, a wife does not have the right over her own body, but her husband does. 
In the same way, a husband does not have the right over his own body, but his wife does. Now, Paul is teaching the husband that his body belongs to his wife, and he is teaching the wife that her body belongs to her husband. Now, he is not advocating selfish demands over your spouse to get them to do what you want. That's not his point. In fact, it's the exact opposite. Paul here is making the point that you put the other person before yourself because that is your body. You see, sex in marriage is to be a selfless act. Practically, it means, wives, there may be times in which you are tired, in which you are just not in the mindset of wanting to do this with your husband. Well, Paul is saying, wives, your body belongs to your husband, and so serve him even when you're not in the right mood. But the opposite is also true. Husbands, there may be times in which your wife is tired, and she's not in the right mood. And so since her body is your body, you put her needs before your own. You don't pout or be pushy or manipulate. You see, what Paul is teaching is a humble, selfless, others first posture of mutual authority. We are displaying the selflessness of Jesus in the gospel when we selflessly serve our spouse at a sacrifice to self. Just as Jesus put our needs before his own in the gospel, so too do we put the needs of our closest neighbor, our spouse, before ourselves. Now, husbands, if you are not serving your wife, if you're not working hard and helping carry the weight around the house, if you're not pursuing her heart, if you're not writing her love notes and giving her flowers and initiating conversation and bringing her gifts, then you're making it very difficult for her to serve you. Listen, if Jesus can wash feet, you can wash dishes. If Jesus is willing to humble himself to get low, you can take the trash out without being asked. See, here's the deal. What we see in the gospel is how we are to respond with one another in the marriage relationship. We put the good of the other before ourselves. So husbands, you pursue her heart. You work hard to serve her and to put her needs before your own. And yet simultaneously, Sex is to be consistent within the marriage bond. It should be a regular occurrence. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, do not deprive one another except when you agree for a time to devote yourselves to prayer. Then come again, excuse, come together again. Otherwise, Satan may tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, because sexual immorality is so common, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2, the command is do not deprive one another. Proverbs 5, verse 19, Solomon uses the words at all times and always to communicate the reliability of sexual intimacy in the marriage relationship. 
Each married couple is to regularly and consistently come together for intimacy. Now, there may be times for fasting. There may be times for taking breaks. But notice what its purpose is for. It's to abstain for the sake of devoting yourselves to prayer. But even then, you are, verse 5, to come together again because Satan may tempt you. Do you see how God holds up the significance of sex in marriage? Physical intimacy has spiritual implications that affect your life. Look back with me at Proverbs 5, verse 19, and see how significant sexual fulfillment in marriage is when emotionally connecting with your spouse. Verse 19, he says, be lost in her love forever. That phrase, be lost, verse 19, it points to an exuberant joy, being captivated. It's an over-the-top, exhilarating love for your spouse. I really like how the ESV puts it here. It says, be intoxicated, always in her love. Verse 19, this is the only time in Scripture you are commanded to get drunk. And you are to get drunk, verse 19, on the love that you have for your wife. This is a honeymoon kind of love where you are overwhelmed with love that you have for your spouse. And may I say to you, that is the kind of love that Jesus has for his bride, the church. Jesus loves us with an overwhelming, captivating love, a love that is seen perfectly fulfilled in the cross. In Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So whether you're married or single, old or young, Republican or Democrat, God loves you with an over-the-top kind of love that is seen perfectly in the work of Jesus at the cross. You know, one of my favorite seasons of the year is upon us. I love the fall. The air gets crisp. The leaves begin to change colors and we get to put a fire in the fireplace. And when the fire in the fireplace starts, there's something that just brings warmth. The family kind of comes together and enjoys. We can't take our eyes off of it. It's good. It's life-giving. But what happens if a log rolls off the fireplace and into the living room. Destruction. The whole house is destroyed. See, sex is like a fire. When it is kept within the fireplace of marriage, it's good, it's safe, it's life-giving, and it blesses the home. But when the fire of sex comes outside of the fireplace, it brings destruction and it can destroy a home. You see, when sex is taken outside of the safety and comfort of marriage, it brings destruction and disaster. But the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus has the power to put the home back together. The 
power of the gospel is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, he's able to take a home that has been utterly destroyed by sexual sin, and he is able to build it back up. And with his grace and mercy and love, through the power of the Holy Spirit, with the word of God governing over the family, Jesus is able to take destruction and make it beautiful. In Jesus Christ, we see the full extent of God's love and love and his marital faithfulness. And our marriages point to the gospel when we love one another in the same way that Jesus loves his bride, the church. And you see, sex is pointing to an even greater reality. We see a God who loves and cares for his church to the point that he lays down his life for her. Jesus shed his blood so that we might be restored back to a right relationship with God and we might know him. We might be with him. We might be able to be close to him and be protected by him. You see, physical intimacy in marriage points us forward to a closeness and a love and a delight and an intimacy that we will one day have with the Lord. Just as in Christ, we become one with God, we see that sex is pointing us forward to a one day union that is coming between Christ and his bride, the church. You see, your greatest need is not a spouse who understands you. Your greatest need is not more sex. Your greatest need is to be delivered from the wrath that is to come. And God has made a way through his son, Jesus, who goes to the cross and he invites you to flee from the wrath that is to come and find forgiveness and freedom and holistic truth found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as the world continues to change their definition of gender, as they change their definition of marriage, as they change the goalposts of what sexuality is, we follow the voice that has a Galilean accent who says no to sex outside of marriage and who says yes to sex inside of marriage. So let's follow Jesus so that no matter what happens, both inside the bedroom and outside the bedroom. We glorify the Lord Jesus Christ.